Have an Amazon Prime account? You can subscribe to Q Sports Talk on Twitch for free. Twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. Subscribe now through your Amazon Prime account. Running away from people now, 20, 10, and gone. Moniel, 67-yard touchdown run. I've got reporters' <laughs> notebooks older than Seth. Fati was always soft. Can't uh, win on the road, they say. <laughs> DeVito pop pass, end zone, touchdown, and the ball game. DeVito in relief, wins it for the Orange. This is Orange Nation, brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte as we welcome you into a Wednesday edition of Orange Nation. We have no guests lined up for it today. We want to hear from you. We want to talk Q's basketball. 315-437-7644. And after playing, what, 14 straight games that were decided by 13 straight games, I guess, that were decided by double digits, the Orange back-to-back games that go right down to the wire fell to Notre Dame over the weekend by one. Let a second-half lead slip away last night against Virginia Tech. The Hokies come away with a 67-63 victory. Vatek going on a 10-0 run. They extended that to a 21-4 run in the second half, led by Jalen Cohn and SU unable to answer down the stretch. This team drops to 1-3 and three. In conference play, 8-7 and seven overall. And Seth, they're in a little bit of trouble. A little bit. A lot, lot of trouble. A lot of bit. A lot of bit. A lot of bit. I mean, you look at this, and uh, one of the thoughts that I had last night, and I'm glad you mentioned the double-digit double games that they played early in the year. Uh, one of the thoughts that I had last night is if they could have played a couple of single-digit games, if they could have managed to have a couple of games like last night in those games that were double-digit games, and maybe it's still the Iowa and the Penn State and the Oklahoma State game, and you're still losing them, but then at least in January, you would have been through one of those games and you could react. Because one of the things that I felt watching that game is that they just didn't really have an answer. Like when things started to slip away and when Virginia Tech started to take over, I didn't feel like Syracuse had much of an answer for Virginia Tech and didn't have much of an answer for everything that came with the avalanche that turned into a 21 to 4 run. Uh, that, you know, that becomes a major problem if you're going to allow a team to go on a run like that. And I, and I thought all right, maybe if they had some kind of experience in these situations, if they had some kind of um you know, game to go back to and say, hey, we've been through this. Here's what we've got to do to stop it. Maybe they could have pulled out a game like last night. Same with same with Saturday, by the way. Yeah, and, you know, your go-to guy is Elijah Hughes, and, and he made some shots, and, you know, he finished with 18 points, and he did his thing. But, but you're right, they didn't seem to have a lot of answers in that second half when they desperately needed a bucket. We saw Quincy Garrier take a couple of important shots, didn't make them all. Um, but Quincy, I thought, I thought he played really well again. Um, if you're looking for a silver lining, but I, I know that nobody's looking for a silver lining today. But they, they just, they, they didn't have an answer. You're right. And you look at the kind of teams that Syracuse struggles with, and we've talked about how they struggle on the backboards, and they struggle in terms of giving up second chance points. 
they struggle with teams that get after them defensively, right? I mean, we, we've seen it now. We saw it down in New York, certainly with Oklahoma State and Penn State, and strong physical teams that will get after you, you know, with a, with a you know, kind of in-your-face type mentality. And they, they struggle against really good defensive teams. And, and we saw it again last night that they don't have, if their big three isn't, isn't red hot, and they, they weren't last night, uh, they went six for 17 from three-point range between the three of them. If, they're, if those guys aren't making shots from the outside, they struggle to get anything done inside the three-point line. And that was evident again last night. And so they struggle with teams, you know, that that have quality big men. They struggle with teams that have a lot of perimeter shooters, and they struggle with teams that, that get after you defensively. And now we we're halfway through the season. You pointed that out yesterday. That they're they're halfway through their season. They have yet to beat. Forget about a good team. They've yet to beat a mediocre team. And so they have, all the games that they've played against mediocre teams or better. They've lost. And, you know, if, if I said to you right now, what is their best win? Is their best win, is it Georgia Tech? Maybe. Probably. Um, is it Colgate? And, you know, and, and Colgate no, it's has. Georgia a, Tech. It's, it's probably Georgia Tech because it's an ACC game and it's on the road. I, but that's my point is that they, I think I think you're picking between Georgia Tech and Colgate, and Colgate has not been what you expected them to be to this point. Syracuse has played eight games against top 100 Ken Palm teams, they're one and seven. Georgia the, Tech's the one, the one is Georgia Tech. What's Georgia Tech in the Ken Pond? Uh, let me... They can't be much inside the top 100. No, no. Um, Georgia Tech is 87th. What's Colgate, out of curiosity? Probably around like 150? 128. Okay. All right. I mean, you're talking... Yeah, but the the point remains. You're talking about a team that has... Um, it's it's funny. As, as you were going through that, uh, they struggle with, with teams with outside shooting. They struggle with teams that have interior play. They struggle with teams that uh, that h- he'll hit you on the rebounds. Um, is, is, is it unfair to say they struggle with teams? <laughs> like, well, that, that was my they struggle, point. They struggle with teams. Like, they struggle with basketball teams. Mediocre to better than mediocre teams, they, they've they lost all, all the games. Um, so, yes, I, that that's the point, is that there isn't necessarily one particular team that they struggle with. And last night, you know, we... We talked going into the game about, man, they got to improve defensively, and man, they've got to improve on the backboards. They won the rebounding battle, granted by one, but they won the rebounding battle, and defensively, they weren't all that bad. I mean, they gave them 27 points in the first half, and they still lose the game. And, and you know, you go back to Saturday, and you say, man, they scored 87 points. How could you lose a game like that? Then they turn around and defensively, they give up 27 in the first half and they still lose. They, and I th- I they, thought they're last just night, not good enough to get over the hump in, in these close games. I thought last night was a very strange and confu- confusing defensive game, to be totally honest, because um, I, I kept feeling like they weren't playing that well defensively and Virginia Tech just couldn't score. And I think that that's part of what you saw in the second half. In the first half, Virginia Tech was awful shooting the ball. Just could not hit a shot. Could could not make open threes and and clean good looks. And in the second half, they started to hit some of those. And and they they probably still didn't quite shoot the percentage that they would on that they have on the season. Um, but I mean, they shot twenty eight percent from three last night. Virginia Tech is a much better three point shooting team than twenty eight percent from three. So in a way, like Syracuse got fortunate in a way that Virginia Tech, I think, shot the ball in the first half because that I don't think is a typical performance by the Hokies as far as how they would shoot. Like this game could have been a lot worse for SU. I'll say this in regards to the defensive play. I, I thought, you know, you, you say that they miss shots, and again, I think some of it, 
some of it is they miss shots, and I think some of it is you have to give credit to the defense. Now, we knew going in last night who, who was Virginia Tech's best player. Landers Nolly, right? Yep. Averaging 17 points per game, uh, one of the best freshmen in the ACC. And they he did was a great one, job one of not, for 11. They did a great job on him. One for 11 from three-point range. So I think some of it is you got to tip your cap to to you know how that they played defensively on him, know your personnel. They knew he was the guy that could beat him, and I, I thought that they made his life difficult last night. Still finished with 13 points, but he took 14 shots. He was one for 11 from three-point range. You'll live with that. Everyone outside of Jalen Cohn was... Five for 29 from three-point range, right? So, again, I think by and large, defensively, they played pretty well. This kid gets hot, scores 19 points, career high for him. He's a freshman. He went five for seven from deep. And he's a, he's a good three-point shooter. But, again, you going into this game, you weren't expecting that Jalen Cohn was going to come off the bench and beat you. It just so happened that, that he got the hot hand and, you know, they obviously fouled him a couple times and, and so on and so forth, and, and he played fantastic. I thought, by and large, defensively, they were pretty good. It was offensively where, you know, even as Virginia Tech's making shots, you're you're expecting Syracuse is going to continue to make shots, much like they did against Notre Dame, but they struggle against teams that get after you defensively and that they're physical with you, and again, some of that is youth and inexperience and just not being as big and strong as, as guys on the other team, and, and that will come with time, but unfortunately, you know, time is running short this season because, as you pointed out yesterday, they're halfway through the year. They're eight and seven. They still haven't beaten even a mediocre team. Yeah, the time time is running out, and you know, you mentioned the offensive struggles last night. Um, it's it's interesting. It's interesting how they can look so drastically different over 48 hours. And we were just talking about it with the defense, where they look different. They look better. Like I'm, I'm not saying that they did not look better. They looked better defensively in that game last night than they did uh, Saturday against Notre Dame. Offensively, I mean, that, that was a, a staggering change from where they were. After having 20 assists, having good ball movement, spreading the wealth, uh, getting open shots, and and you know getting open shots because of your ball movement, to going to six assists, a season low, you only had three players who picked up even one assist in that game. And it was just... Um, it was just the complete opposite of what had made you so successful on Saturday. You had a lot more driving, a lot more isolation. It looked a lot like last year's team, except without Tyus Battle doing the isolation. And Tyus Battle is, you know, is is far, far better than anybody on this team at isolating his man and getting to the basket. And I thought Virginia Tech did a great job on Buddy in particular. I mean, Buddy made seven threes on Saturday. He took six threes yesterday. He just he, he couldn't get open looks. And that, that's a credit, I think, to Virginia Tech and the way they played. And again, Syracuse has to be able to combat that. And, and they're just not good enough right now to, to do that. And if they're not making outside shots, and that's why we said going into the ACC schedule, you know, we posed the question, is it sustainable to live by the three, die by the three? And, you know, we both kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, well, you know, whether it's sustainable or not, that's how this team's going to have to win games. When they're not shooting the ball well or when they're not getting looks from three-point range, they only took 17 threes last night. They're going to struggle to score. And defensively, they're just not good enough. While they were improved last night, they're just not good enough defensively to win a game like that, to go out and win, you know, 60 to 56. Well, but that's that's why you need Quincy Garrier to continue to step up. And you mentioned earlier, he went 12 and 9. I thought he played a really I good game. He played great. And yeah, he fouled, you know, he. He picked up four fouls. Okay, fine. He, you know, he had he had that. He only had one turnover. Um, he was he was active on the boards. He had three offensive rebounds. I, I thought he played a really good game. And you look at 
a game like last night when they are getting run off the three-point line and when a team comes in and makes such a concerted effort to not allow you to shoot threes, you've got to find another way to score. And Marek Dolajai wasn't doing that last night. Baramis Sidibe can never be counted on to do that. And Quincy Garriott came in and gave you 12 points in 25 minutes. And, you know, Quincy was that spark plug for the night. And if Marek hadn't fouled out, uh, you know, he, he probably plays the full 40. But... He didn't, you know, he didn't quite get going scoring in the same way that he had been recently. He only took five shots. He only put up six points. And I know he was in and out of foul trouble for a lot of the game, but you need somebody else inside who can score. And recently that had been Marek Dolajai. But if Quincy's going to step up, that's an option that is really, really important because uh, teams are going to put Elijah, Buddy, and Joe at the top of their scouting report and then a big gap between the rest of them. And. There has to be somebody who can score relatively consistently inside so that when those three guys are taken away around the arc, they could dump it to somebody else to get a basket. I, I'm with you. You know how I feel about Quincy. I think, you know, he's going to continue to get better and better. And I, I think they need him to get, you know, continue to get better and better, um, you know, to help this team throughout the season and beyond. I'm glad you brought up Marek, though, because, you know, going into last night, he had scored in double figures in six of the last eight games. Uh, he's coming off a game against Notre Dame in which he he scored 13 points. He took 12 shots in that game. He took five shots last night, and regardless of the fact of whether or not he was in and out of foul trouble, because you're right, he was, um, he still played almost 34 minutes, and as you said, he, he fouled out with about five or six minutes left. He only took five shots. They They need him to be an offensive threat, especially on a night where... It was tough sledding for the guards and for Elijah Hughes out around the three-point line. They needed a guy to, to be able to hit a 15-footer or to drive to the basket. And I thought Quincy did that to some degree. He was aggressive. Marek wasn't as aggressive as we've seen. And so I, I do think that as much as I love Marek, and, and you look at what he's he's done for this team, he's second on the team in rebounding. He's second on the team in blocks. He's second on the team in steals. He's third on the team in assists. He's so important for so many reasons. Yes, he but does I, a lot of really good things. I do think he needs to add something to that, and that is be a consistent threat game in and game out. Because last night, he wasn't. He only took five shots. And I think last night was a situation where they obviously they could have used him because it was it was so hard for the guys on the perimeter to do anything. Yeah, I mean, I I look at Marek and and see him as as so um, I don't want to say unwilling to because I don't I don't necessarily think that's the right way of saying it. But he is such a he's super unselfish, right? He he's a guy who has such a high basketball IQ that he's always looking to make the perfect play rather than just making a play. And sometimes he's got to not pass the ball because he needs to know he's got to be aggressive. Even though the right play, the perfect play, might be, hey, there's somebody who might get a better shot than me. I've got to pass well, it off I, to him. When I see him in transition, and I mean, he's had a few plays you know, this year, more than a few plays, where he's gone coast to coast. We saw you know, last night where he's able to put the ball on the floor and he, he's he's able to go you know, the distance and, and make plays and lay it in. We saw it against Notre Dame. And then when you see him make plays like that, you, you want to see more of it. Yes. And, and, and I think that he needs to and I, I love the fact that he's a, is such an unselfish player, but I, I do think you know this is one of those cases where a player I think needs to be a little more selfish and look for his play a little bit more and 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 make the defense guard you, make, keep the defense honest by being a, a consistent threat. And again, I thought Quincy did that last night. I think Marek, you know, he's been really good in that area for the last you know eight nine games. 
last night he got away from it a little bit and and you know they they needed him they they needed another score with with the guys struggling from the outside to get open looks and uh, you know and, and you're right Marek was in foul trouble but on the offensive end he he's got to be more aggressive I think you you almost need to tell him to shoot first and. Even if he is thinking shoot first, he is still such an unselfish and high IQ player that he's going to pass the ball a whole lot. And so him him maybe being a shoot first player might still only result in in 10 or 12 shots a game. You know, whereas you tell other people to be shoot first and they might take 15 or 20 shots a game. It's, you know, that I I think that you've got to find a way to get through to him that he's got to be more aggressive and more assertive and and put the ball up towards the basket with more regularity because that would be such a threat if you have him, if you have Quincy who are who has played now, well now what, three of the last four games? Really, four out of the last five games? Um, he's played well. If you have Quincy and Marek, who can both be some kind of threat inside, and they can combine for somewhere around 20 points, which I know that's what they did last night, but if that can be kind of the baseline, um, it just adds a dimension to your team. And again, I'm not in any way, shape, or form pinning the loss on Marek. I'm just looking no. for potential solutions, right? I mean, because... Marek's not going to gain 40 pounds overnight. You know, we all joke about that. And Barama's not going to gain 30 pounds overnight. And they're going to struggle with physical teams down low. And they, they are what they are. They're they're so reliant on the three. They're not going to change overnight. But if we're looking at potential solutions for the problems that they're facing, I, I do think, you know, I think Marek and Quincy are potential solutions for some of the problems. You know, I've been talking about Quincy in recent weeks. And, and Marek has been so good. And last night he just he he kind of had an off game offensively. He had two point six or rather six points, two assists uh, in thirty four minutes of action. They they need more out of him on the offensive end. And then he followed out on a a questionable call. I think ultimately that was the right call. Agree. Um, I thought it was a defensive foul. I, 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 think, I he, think it was. As I well. thought he was moving. I thought he flopped a little bit. I thought it was the right call. I don't know if he flopped. He tried. Right. He tried to draw but the I, charge. He slid but, in there, but I think it was the right call. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was the right. I know he didn't like it. No, he didn't like it. Didn't seem like the bench for the fans liked it. Obviously, you're in Syracuse, but it was the right call. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. We are going to open up the phone lines. We want to hear from you. We have no guests lined up for you today. We want to talk Cuse basketball. I, I think we all know the problems at this point, and the problems are many. What are some potential solutions for this team moving forward? They're just halfway through the season. A lot of basketball left to be played. Can they salvage this season? We're back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. All right, Stephen Seth back with you on a Wednesday edition of Orange Nation. Phone lines are open the entire way at 315-437-7644. The Orange losing their first three home conference games for the first time in 23 years under Jim Beham. It's only happened twice. Last time was in 96-97. The Orange now 0-3 at home in conference play. 1-3, of course, overall 8-7. Uh, on the season. Uh, let's get the thoughts of uh, Jim Beheim following last night's game, and I know you have a, a few comments pulled for us, Seth. Yeah, uh, let's get to this one about the end of games. Well, we aren't even in the game to close them out. We've been behind in all of our losses. <laughs> we, can't, we can't close them out if we're not ahead. you gotta, you got to get ahead to close out. We can't, we're not, right now, we're not good enough to get ahead. We've beat from, we were behind at the end of all, of, of our, all seven of our losses. It's not like we were ahead and couldn't. No, we've been behind. 
I mean, they were winning with two minutes left on Saturday. Really, the last the last two, and I I understand and they were his point. I was going to say last, last night kind of felt like one they got away in the second half as well. And yes, the Notre Dame game they they, they were, were leading. Up, they were up four. They were leading at the half and against Iowa. That didn't feel like no, it one didn't. That, it that did, they it didn't felt, close out. Last night felt like a game they didn't close out. Agree. No, and, I agree. And certainly the Notre Dame game felt like a game they didn't close out. So I think it was a fair question. Um, certainly five of the seven losses they were behind and they were playing catch up. The, the last two, not totally sure I agree with them. Obviously, the end of the game last night, they were playing catch-up. Yeah. No, but that's why... It felt like a game that, that, got, that got away in the second half. That's why I said what I said earlier. Imagine if... And, and to the to an extent, the Georgetown game got away from them in the second half. I mean, it, not not the same way that last night did or the Notre Dame game did, but to, to some extent. Um, but that's why I said what I said before. Imagine if the Iowa game played out to a similar script to this, right, where... You're you're in the game. You're jockeying back and forth the entire second half. Maybe you hold a four point lead with five minutes to go. You blow it. You lose. All right. Maybe you still lose by by ten, but you held that four point lead and you couldn't figure out how to stop it. You couldn't figure out how to stop the bleeding and how to get a lead and how to you know go and get that win. Well, if you had one or two of those games or maybe three of those games in the non conference, maybe you would know how to better handle it now and. Um, there's no there's no way of knowing that. There's no way of setting up a game and saying, well, this is the game that we've got to, you know, this is the game where we're going to blow a five-point lead late, guys. Like, there's, there's no way of doing it. But it would have been nice given, you know, looking back at the non-conference schedule to have played a single-digit game. It would have been nice to have been in a fight late in any of those games. That goes back to the theory that Teams need to learn how to win, and especially young teams need to learn how to win. And you, and you would love to be able to, you know, like the Tyler Ennis year, you didn't expect with a freshman point guard that he would be that calm, cool, and collected under pressure, and that it, you know, he would able to be able to win all of the close games early on. A lot of times, young teams need to learn how to win, and I think you're starting to, I, I think you're seeing that with this team to some degree that they're young and inexperienced and have one returning starter, and that they're learning how to win. It's just that that excuse is kind of. Out the window now that you're that you're 15 games in. But to your point, they they hadn't played all that many close games. Now they've played two back to back. They lost them both, and and you hope that the next time in, they're in a situation like that, they'll be able to to handle it a little bit better. And yeah, when, I mean teams teams that haven't been in those positions before need to learn how to deal with those positions. I, I think is the simplest way of saying you know what we're both trying to say. And whether you think the team is young or not, whether you think the team is is inexperienced or not, I, I, you can't argue that they're inexperienced. But you know, if you want to argue that they're not young because uh, Marek play, Marek's been here a couple years, and Barama's been here a couple years, and Buddy's been here two years, and Elijah's been here three years. Fine, whatever. It, it's semantics. But um, they are inexperienced. They don't have a whole lot of minutes outside of Elijah and Marek that have played on this team coming into this season. Now they have, you know, this year, but they have not been in close games in crunch time, and those guys have not been in this same position in crunch time. Last year, if there was a close game. Marek Dolezal sure wasn't being put in a position to go make a play. Buddy Beheim sure wasn't being put in that position either. Uh, you know, things change year to year, and, and they've got to figure out how to um, they've got to figure out how to work it out in their new roles. And they they haven't figured it out fast enough, given that they played so many blowouts. One thing I'll say about last night that you know I think that you can be disappointed with if you're an SU fan. What's what's one of the strengths, like an intangible strength of this team? They all seem to have high basketball IQ, right? Like Marek is—he's got a high basketball IQ, smart player. Joe Girard, smart player. Buddy, Elijah Hughes, all smart players. Um, 
you know, fouling the three-point shooter, not a smart play. We saw that a couple times last night. Marek with his his fifth foul, he's got to know I'm I'm valuable to this team. Just I need to stay in the game, right? Just just you know, why why take the chance there to to try to slide over that? Not a smart play. So again, it was it was crunch time situation, and and this is a by and large a really really smart team. They made some mistakes last night that that spoke to the opposite of that, and it, it proved costly. You mentioned the four-point plays. Um, those were frustrating. Uh, let, let's hear what Jim Bayham had to say about that after. We're late getting to the shooters. We've been late most of this year, and some of it's inexperience. Most of those are forward plays. I don't know where they get this dynamic of how many points scored against so many people, but most of the threes in the Notre Dame game were coming against our forwards. Our forwards aren't coming up. And they've got to get up there. And uh, I think three or four of the key ones tonight were wing and corner. And that's the forwards and the center have to get there. We just didn't do a good job covering that. I'm glad that up because I think he said it better than what I was trying to say coming out of the Notre Dame game on Monday. And I, I kept going back to, I didn't think their perimeter defense was that bad, and then you kept saying, well, they made 15-3, so the perimeter defense must have been bad. My point was that everybody's crushing the guards, and just because you give up threes, it's not always the guards' fault. So I think Coach Bay, I think, did a better job explaining it there than maybe I did on Monday, but that was the point I was trying to make, that I don't think that the perimeter defense was all that bad against Notre Dame in terms of Gerard and Bayheim. And and I think Bayheim explained it there with there was a, there were a lot of threes both in the Notre Dame game and last night that were forward and center responsibilities and not necessarily you know it's easy to look at the fifteen threes and just be like ah Joe and Buddy they're too slow to get out to shooters I didn't think that was the case against Notre Dame and I, I didn't think that was necessarily the case last night either yeah I, I mean I think that, that that definitely played in you you could see times where where the 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 wing defenders were supposed to press up and were pressed up and it led to open threes you know in other positions so yeah I I, I understand I, I I get what you were trying to say the the perimeter defense is not all on the guards all the time it it is kind of on everybody because the perimeter that of of the defense goes around the the whole part of it right. <laughs> you know the, the perimeter of the defense is the perimeter of the defense and that includes the forwards all right let's get to the phone lines we've got John in Syracuse waiting patiently for us hey John how are you today pretty good this is what happens when you let a stubborn old selfish man continue to coach beyond his years and there's no one up there to put their foot down and stop this he's got two more years of this and now you've got a coaching, a mediocre coaching staff that cannot recruit the ACC caliber athlete to compete in the top of the ACC. This is just an absolute sin. I mean, and all you do is make excuses. Uh, this is this you're talking about us, John. So you're talking about us trouble. making excuses. Are, you're talking about us making excuses. For, for for the most part, yes. I mean, you, they got to do this. They got to do this. They got to do that. How is well, that excuses? The talent isn't there. Well, here's the thing, John. John. Really- John. Here's the thing. Okay, so it's it's not excuses. I think it's it's constructive because you know the. This this roster it, it is what it is right now, right? I mean, there's no you can't make trades in the middle of the season, so it it, it is what it is. And I, I think you you have to look at it and say, okay, these are the issues. How do you go about solving the issues? I don't I don't think that's excuses. I think that's you know trying to look at this with a critical eye and saying what can be done to fix it. It doesn't do any. The only thing that can be done is you have to have a complete coaching change. You have to get but that's, young. But and and fine, like if you think that fine. That's not doing anything today. 
I think is the point that Steve is trying to make. Like, fan- fantastic. If 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 that's the path you think needs to be taken, fantastic. You're you're very allowed to have whatever point of view on that you want. Uh, you know, not saying that you can't, but it does nothing for you on January eighth. On January eighth, you're stuck with the team and the coaching staff and the players and the and and the support staff and the athletes that you've got and. You know, look, you could, I, I sat here the other day and said, I, I just, I don't think the team is very good. I sat here the other day and said, I don't think they're making the NCAA tournament and that they're going to struggle to win a whole lot of games in, in this ACC schedule, given what they've done so far this year. Um, that doesn't mean you also can't say, hey, they should probably be a little bit better on their defense and maybe they'll win a game or two. I, I think the better question may be, what is the ceiling for this team? And I'm not talking about the ceiling for this team in 2019-2020. I'm talking about what is the ceiling for this particular group of players because they might have everybody back next year or you know Close everybody who it. plays. I mean, I don't know if Elijah's going to the NBA or not. I mean, he's he's been fantastic, but I, I wouldn't expect that any of you know we saw six guys play last night. I wouldn't expect any of the other five are going anywhere. No, um, and there's a chance that you have all of them back. Plus, you add a, a couple you know incoming freshmen to the mix. What is the ceiling for this team? And, and, you know, I know they're going through some growing pains now. Are they going through growing pains? And I think they are in part because they're young. Um, but they're, they're going to continue to get better, just like players on other teams are going to continue to get better. What, what is the ceiling for this particular team? Like, if we're, if we're talking about this group a year from now, and I think we are going to be talking about this group a year from now, how much better are they going to be? I don't know that they are going to be that much better. I, I don't know. That, what see, that's, that's the that's, question. That's the, and that's the concerning part, is that... Uh, I'm not initially saying, oh, well, a year of experience is going to make all these guys better. You know, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying, oh, a year of experience is going to make all the difference and they're going to come back next year and be better and be stronger and be, uh, you know, more athletic and, and you know, figure out their problems on defense. And next year, they'll be a top five team in the ACC. Like, I, I no, like, I, I don't. I, I can't sit here and say that. I can't sit here and say anything close to that. I mean, is the ceiling for this group of players uh, eighth in the ACC? Like, is that the best you could hope for? See, I, again, you're going to say that I'm being too positive. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm calling it like I see it. This is not, this is not me having orange colored glasses on. If you're asking me next year, if I think that if this group ran it back next year and every, let's say everybody comes back, because if Elijah leaves, that's a, that's a big loss. You're telling me you don't think this team, if everybody comes back and they're a year better and more equipped to handle the zone and and you know rebounding still going to be an issue. You're telling me they they can't do better than eighth in the ACC. Uh, let's see what they actually do over the course of the rest of the season. I know it's a cop out, but um, they still have no they they still would have no interior presence. They still uh, you know you you still have concerns about not only well, you would have Jesse Edwards as a sophomore. Okay, who, but again but, may, maybe he's you know maybe I, he comes back bigger and stronger. And now I I like Jesse Edwards, and you know this. We haven't seen much of him. I understand. And, and so we're talking about a year from now. No, though. I, I I'm aware of that. And part of part of what I would the weight like, room. part of what I would like to see the rest of this year is more of Jesse Edwards and Bryson Goodine. Considering, um, you know, go, going back to my my Daniel Jones thoughts on the Giants, if if you're not going to be that good, let's be not that good with other people, right? Let's let's right. see what's on the team and let's see what Daniel Jones has. The Giants did that; they pulled the trigger. Daniel Jones went and played 14 weeks. All right, if this Syracuse team's not going to be very good, you know what Barama Sidibe is. So let's see what the other guy is. I, I think and let's, that you and let's probably, figure it out for next year. I think you probably, in my opinion, you probably give this team through January and then maybe reassess. 
And if if you are so far out of it by the time February first rolls around in that Duke game, you know, then maybe you do take the last month, month and a half of the season, and you start playing Jesse Moore and Bryson Moore and you know Howard Washington Moore and and whatever the case may be. Now here's here's the other thing that you mentioned, and it was a conversation that we were actually having in the office before the show started today. Um, another year in the weight room, another year bulking up, another year getting bigger, another year getting stronger. Um, like, it all sounds great in theory, but when's the, like, who's the last player that you really saw a change, like a drastic change in their body? You're talking about big guys? I mean, Fab Mello from freshman year to sophomore year, okay. fantastic. Okay. Rakeem Christmas throughout the course of his okay, career but, but got a lot bigger, okay, stronger, but, and better. Rakeem, Rakeem's senior year is now five years ago. I understand. Like, I you know, understand. What, I, what I'm saying You're is also it, losing, what I'm saying I mean, is you lost O'Shea Brissett. You know, early. You lost Ty's battle but, early. But, you, but O'Shea, you lose guys early. But O'Shea came in built. O'Shea came in pretty, you know, put together. Um, you know, Pascal never put on any kind of size. You know, uh, Barama had, you know, I didn't really have a frame for that. Noticeably, Barama hasn't changed his body. Marek, over three years, has not put on any kind of size. Um, you know, and, and I just, I don't know. I don't know how confident you can be that guys are magically going to put on well, weight and he, muscle. Here's here's the thing. Um, do you think Joe Girard is going to be better next year, a year from now? I mean, I would think so, yeah. Buddy Beheim is going to be better a year from now. Probably. Elijah is already fantastic, but if he's back. My, my point is is that these those three in particular are, are really good already, and, and I realize that defensively this team has been struggling. I would expect that defensively they will get better. Um, And I think that they have a lot of offensive firepower. They've shown that so far this season. You give this team another year, and other teams are losing guys, and you bring back, you're you're one of the youngest teams in the country this year, you're going to be one of the most experienced teams in the country next year. And I think that that does matter. I think experience matters. I think... You know, maturing matters both physically and in terms of, you know, basketball IQ, and these are already smart guys. I, I just I, I think that there is a higher ceiling for this team than eighth in the ACC. It's not looking good this Again, year. Let's let's see how the rest of this year plays out. Like that's a hard thing to it's a hard question to answer when you're one in seven against top one hundred teams. Naturally it's gonna be a negative outlook. You know, if 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 you can tell me that I've got a full season to look at and I can see where Joe Girard is at the end of this season, if he's made any progress defensively, if I can see where Quincy Garrier is and the progress he's made defensively, you know, to to be able to stay on the floor, and and if I can learn more about these guys, then yeah, maybe I have a different outlook in, uh, on March eighth than I do on January eighth about what the ceiling is for next but year's again, team. But we, right now, we've seen two months out of these guys though, and Girard has gotten better defensively, in my opinion. I think Quincy he was a liability very early. I didn't think he was a liability defensively last night. No. I, I think they are moving in the right direction. Maybe they're not moving fast enough for SU fans and for all of us you know, who want to see wins. Maybe they're, they're not moving at, at the rate that other people want them to move at. I think they're moving in the right direction, though, and I think they will continue to move in the right direction. We desperately need to take a timeout. We're up against the clock. Keep those phone calls coming at 315-437-7644. We're going to step aside. Back after this on ESPN Radio.